So let's be uh, thankful. Dear Lord, we're grateful for another evening. And what might be like drinking out of a fire hose and trying to process an awful lot of things, we'd ask that you would have our minds, each of us, select the things we need to pay most attention to ourselves and that the things that are most benefit would be heard the most clearly. In your son's name, amen. Okay, the mojo. Um, I'm always asked, why do you call it that? Because, well, at first they wonder why you call it the Tao, because that sounds like Taoism, and you have to explain the word Tao means the way, and the way of Eve. The mojo, a little less excusable, it is a voodoo term um, for, you know, the magic between men and women. And uh, great songs like I Got My Mojo Working. Uh, concepts like that, you know, deep Christian concepts. I pick it because uh, there isn't a Bible term for this. There, there just isn't. Uh, you can't speak of the magic between men and women uh, without borrowing a term from someplace. And mojo does get people's attention. It certainly gets young men's attention. And they are more willing to listen to some old coot talk about why they like girls. Um, when I seem to have my mojo. Now, you might not say, well, I don't like the term still, Mr. Wilson. But that's, uh, we'll just go, we'll look over that. We'll just move on. Uh, we're really more concerned with you understanding why men want you so that you can understand how to frame your life and your actions because if you don't know what the temptation is, or if you don't know what it is you're doing, if you don't know how you're affecting a guy, or you project female motivations onto him, and then surprise, surprise, he doesn't act that way, um, you will be less wise, less ordered, less at peace, and maybe even compromised. Um, we, are, we know that men, in, in these seminars, I want you to assume going in, next, tomorrow night we're gonna be talking about the Tao, what it is women are after. Tonight we're talking about what men are after, how you respond to what men are after. And it is generally superficially viewed as if it was just raging hormones, which it does seem like a lot of the time, especially in adolescence. Uh, women are pretty, women are desirable, women, men want them because they're pretty and desirable, kind of um, animal in heat sort of thing, just animalistic urge. And since there is an animal urge between men and women, um, and that most of the world advertises everything on the basis of and, and, and tries to leverage you to do anything by, by this urge, people think that answers it. But philosophically, you're, you're left feeling that, one, we are people, human beings, and not just animals. There's some, there seems to be something between men and women that is more than just the the alpha male in the herd, the big ram or the big bull elk or whatever it is. I was watching sea lions the other day with those guys with the elephant seals with the big thing, huge bulls just yowling at each other and on these big blubber things and slamming blubber and biting them each other. Two guys fighting over like 300 cows. One guy, one guy gets them. He has to fight every day of maybe every 10 minutes, a different bull that comes up and challenges him for the herd. And you begin to say, I recognize things like that. That's what it's like in a bar. Uh, that's what it's, 
like in life. But, although we are, as Lewis said, when Jane asked him, but sir, aren't we more than hedgehogs? Yes, but not less. You are more than a hedgehog. You are more than just an animal. And we realize that with all the art that has come out of romance, all the art of uh, the, the great commitments to each other that come out in marriage, in a love affair, or whatever it is, we know that something's going on more than just hormones. We're not just trying to breed or leave our mark in the gene code. The evolutionists think that, that we're just, why we select certain women is trying, and, and why men want to be promiscuous is because they're trying to put their, their mark on <coughs> the species history. So if it's not about, although we accept the raging hormones, it's not about that. That doesn't explain it. Why do we want women? So if you're left without, or you set that aside, say, okay, we'll come back to that later. Romance, how about romance? The idea of what, romance is distinct from love, okay? Romance as a cause. Um, understanding that romance is a, is a, it's a literary type that came up out of the high Middle Ages, southern France, hence romance, the romance area, the romance tub, and the great chivalric poetry that then worked its way into more novel expressions where there's always loss, deprivation, death, misunderstanding. That's where a romance is. A romance is star-crossed love. Okay? It's the negative image. You don't have a successful romance. John comes into the room, meets Sally. Sally's a nice girl. He likes Sally. Sally likes John. They exchange phone numbers, they phone each other, they go out on a date, they like each other. They like each other even more. So he proposes to her. They get married and raise 2.5 children. So where's the romance? There is none. They're just happy. In other words, everything going right destroys romance. People think negatively, even some of the highest expressions of romance. We've gone with the wind. Right at the end, what happens? Rhett Butler says, Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. And walks out into the fog. And you just, oh. the girls are just, oh, I'm so, Scarlet, you fool. I, and then you start saying, I'm so like Scarlet, but I'm so not like Scarlet. I would never, and Leslie used to tell me that certain Beatles songs, what was the song um, that the Beatles would sing that you would say to yourself about John Lennon that you wouldn't... Oh, you're going to lose that girl. You're going to lose that girl. And she would whisper to the record player, I would never, never leave you. <laughs> this is back when the Beatles were big. So, and she was young. And I wasn't on the scene, obviously. Um, asked uh, years ago, early days of the house, um, a bunch of girls, including my wife, I think Leanne Thal and Sue Hipple were involved. I don't know if it was the same night they pierced their ears with thread or needles and carrots. But that was right in there. But it might have been the same night. But I asked them the question, what is the most romantic thought you can think of? I told some of you this. Because it's sick. I think I came up. Okay, well, and I married her. You're going <laughs> to, in spite of this, well, I was already married to her. 
the story, the most romantic thing you could ever think of. This woman is married. She's coming home from the doctor. She has just found out she's pregnant. But before she can get home and tell her husband, he's killed in a car accident. <laughs> and then nine months later, the child is born. He looks like his father. <laughs> now, a guy here in that, he was backing away slowly, saying, what a sick person. But I think the women understand what it is. that It's grabbed you and shaken you in the very insecurities that you fear. You wouldn't ever want that to happen to you. But you want to read that happening. You want to see that happening. You want to see Meg Ryan with tears streaming down her face in some sad, sad picture. And because romance is designed to pleasure women by the, by the threatening of the things that, uh, the, the institution or the love that is there. It's a threat, threatened thing. So I, I reject it. Um, it, it. We're encouraged to be happy, not to be threatened, not to be misunderstanding, not to only find yourself attracted to your husband when you imagine him dead in a ditch. Okay? And I, I, I sleep with one eye open. And check under the car when I'm sent to the store by myself, just to make sure that she has to cut the brake lines so she can feel romance again. Some suggest love, you know, okay, Evan, okay, romance, okay, women have done some awful and foul deed to love in romance. In other words, to satisfy their, you know, men will like pornography, women will like this. They will buy those novels by the gazillion. And they're poorly written, and they're the same story every single time. So we say, what about love? What about falling in love? What we call falling in love. What does that do for you? You, you got like Lewis's four loves. You got storge, family, family, and philia, friendship, and agape, charity, and, and eros, right? Love, um, biological men and women love. All it does is you just renamed it. You didn't answer the question. You didn't tell us what. What is that? What is that thing? And it's going to be different. We think we're saying the same thing. A guy says, I love you, dear. And you say back, I love you. You think you're saying the same thing. And you're not. And that confusion, that inability to define the love, what you're talking about when you say it, is important for you to at least uh, get uh, cleared up. What I'm going to suggest to you, and this is why I got my little chart out, um, is the idea of a rapprochement. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, rapprochement. Klaus, for a white guy in North Idaho. <laughs> French. And you know I don't like the French. Um, rapprochement is an idea that comes from the, what the idea is to bring things together that had once been separated. Okay? Now, I'm describing the male urge for women to bring together what was separated. This explains not just little Stevie asking a girl out to the prom. 
doesn't just explain sin, fornication, backseat of a Chevy. Doesn't it, it explains also things like homosexuality, other perversions men have. Men have their own unique perversions, and once you realize what this is, you begin to say, okay, now I know. Now I know what's going on. Why does he have this urge for, you know, guys dressing up in women clothes? Why? Same thing. Same reason. Guys like you, women, other guys dress up in women clothes for the same reason. Some guys get turned into women, they say. They turned into eunuchs is what they get turned into. But the scriptural basis for this will go on from here. This is out of Genesis 2. It's the bottom of page 20, if you want to read along. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man, the man called every living creature was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to all the birds of the air and to every beast of the field, but for man there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's the cause of rapprochement. That's the mojo. That's why we want. And you know that the commentator who wrote verse... 24, because it's not about Adam and Eve, because he talks about leaving father and mother, and they didn't have father or mother. It says he's, he's commenting about, therefore, a man, any man, all men, everywhere, forever, all men, leave their parents and marry a woman for the reason that Eve was taken out of Adam, we want her back. We, woman was separated from us, Metaphysically, the magic is that separation that God, and when, when, when Christ refers to this in Matthew 19, so they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. This is God joining something, God resolving something, God separating something in the creation to make woman really undeniably us. He was shown all the animals and there was not found someone suitable. He named them all. He names woman, too. She shall be called woman. But it's a magical attachment. Now, when we get to women tomorrow night, what your urges, your love is, women are generally given the bad rap of being the drippy, soupy, you know. We like love, and we like pink, and hearts. And so everybody thinks that a woman's idea of love really is silly and subjective. Uh, and men's, of course, will be grounded in, and, uh, and probably just lust. But really, it's the man who is in a magical state in his desire. Women are largely in a practical state. Now, you might not treat it practically. We'll get to that tomorrow. But there's a practical decision, a practical pursuit, and a practical uh, effort being going on for women. 
Men, it's just, oh, my heavens. Something that I did not ask for. In the main, men that have desire, the desire they have is to be reunited. And you need to have that desire for reunification. Explain every kind of woman and every kind of beauty and every kind of culture, every kind of perversion, even those men who go after other men. But guess what? When they go after other men, they want the other man to kind of pretend to be a caricature of a woman. When they homosexuals, they end up being flamboyantly in a silly way, like no woman ever was, female. So you begin to realize that I, when, I, when I look at what moves man to his sexual desires or sexual uh, uh, relationships, it's not the sex. Men think it's the sex. Okay, they think it is. What you have to realize is in this putting asunder and the desire for rapprochement, God has given us the avenue as a symbol. Sexuality is the avenue by which we symbolize the desire but never arrive at it. Okay? You can be a faithful husband to your wife all your life and you will never wake up one morning one person that somehow the sexuality made you weak, and now you're some strange new beast. It will never succeed. Because it's a metaphor. It's, it's about the yearning. It is this you know, flawed, simplistic, nitty-gritty, almost silly attempt, bolstered with pleasure. God has given sexuality pleasure as solace. You know, the sexual satisfaction, and you move on from you keep coming back to your wife and to your husband, and that is what um, keeps the marriage together. This continual attempt to remake what God had parted in the garden. But one nice thing, it's partially successful, because there are things called children. And children are literally half you, half your wife. They are a new person. You can never re-blend with your wife. You can never get her back and, and, and feel that, that sense of oneness. But your children are this new creature who stands there on the earth that is a creation of that desire. Or, it's a great, or the child is a great symbol of that desire. C.S. Lewis has here on page 21 a quote from the Four Loves when he's speaking about Eros. And it is certainly hard to explain, he says. Lovers themselves are trying to express part of it, not much, when they say they would like to eat one another. Milton has expressed more when he fancies angelic creatures with bodies made of light who can achieve total interpenetration instead of our mere embraces. Charles Williams has said something of it in the words, Love you, I am you. Lewis is addressing this idea, this desire to get back in. Now, like I said, it explains a lot of perversions, a lot of the insecurities men feel. Um, it is what we're about. It's the motivating force. It is what, if it's not there, St. Paul advises you not to marry. Right? 
it's the reason we lust. It is the reason we don't lust and, and, and desire legitimately, but we're desiring a woman for this reason. Now, the mojo is no respecter of persons. All men want all women. I think that was covered in When Harry Met Sally. But, uh, you know, not, I'm not saying literally all men want all women, but all women are the target of the mojo. The reason we pick out a particular woman is circumstance, you know, in other words, how, it, how things transpire, and who the woman is. It's not the mojo that makes a guy marry you, it's the mojo that makes you marry you because you're a woman. That's it. It's, it's your womanhood he's after in the mojo. Um, it's collateral goods that define who you are. Since all women have the plumbing, and all men could find themselves in a certain circumstance where they would find themselves desiring, you know, after six beers, dim lighting, you know, the worst awful looking woman in a bar. They will. And they'll regret it, but they will. Now, why you? And I don't, because I don't want you to feel like ill-used, like, just a piece of meat to the man. No, it's who you are that separates you from the rest of the women. Your beauty, your character, your intelligence, your sociability, your skill. And these are the collateral goods. Remember, the mojo is a, is a, is a metaphysical need. It's a need made into us, much like the knowledge of good and evil. It's innate. And so we're always trying to answer it. But so is uh, circumstances, because of the fallen world, because of chaos, and because of pain and pleasure, we're also trying to make peace in our world. And we can be easily affected by just about any woman. A woman who is like the adventuress on day one, Monday this week, like the adventuress, she seizes you, she kisses you, she tells you she's happy to sleep with you all night long, she makes you all sorts of promises. Yeah, she can, she can you know, pull you out of the herd. She can, she can seduce. Um, the idea that we want that we want peace makes us try to balance our mojo urge with our peace urge. You know, that, that who we're meeting, <coughs> excuse me, who we're meeting um, is going to be judged by how they treat the mojo, one, and two, who they are. Now, in treating the mojo, I don't know if I should tell you this about Plato and the symposium. Nah, nah. He had a similar theory in the symposium. You can read about the round people who were like hamburger buns and who were split in half, and then they spent the rest of their life looking for their other half. Same idea as with Different creation, and it's silly. Um, but hamburger buns is what I can generally describe it as, that they rolled everywhere. And the homosexuals were explained by the ones that were two men together. You know, it, was, it was two halves of the hamburger bun and two faces, and one was somewhere men, 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 women, women, and men, women. And then the gods split them in half so they'd be lonely and go looking for each other. Same idea. I said I wasn't going to go into that, so <laughs> I told you what I was. Read the symposium if you're interested. 
Um, the, uh, okay, where were we? The idea that the rapprochement, how the rapprochement, or what it's measuring, or what happens in the process to it, are a couple of things. It reveals um, who the woman is, who you are, that you're the woman, and two, who you think they are. Okay, those are the two aspects that a woman pre presents to a, to a man. Because as a guy enters your life, okay, walks into a party, a bunch of fine looking women, talks up and talks to you, and he says, hi, my name is so-and-so, and he says, well, good to meet you, so-and-so. Um, let's sit down and have a chat, find out about each other. So he sits down and has a chat with you. He has walked through door number one. Remember how we talked about that in terms of chastity? The contract, the level of the contract, the level of the vow, that all, all affection is vow appropriate, all degrees of access. And that's what we're talking about here, because when we talk about rapprochement, the desirable element is access. Okay? I want access, and this is, comes from what this second point is, access, is that how you spell access? And welcome. That is, and what you think they are. How much access do you give them, and how much welcome do you give them? The first part is, while he has gone through door number two and your, door number one in your life, he's discovering who you are. Now, these can be at war with each other, very simply. We know perfectly well that a beautiful woman who is you find out how beautiful she is. You notice that very early on, and so you, you already got that chalked up. You know, right? She's a beauty. I give her a ten, and then you find out she's just completely, completely a waste of humanity, and a gold ring and a pig snout. So is a beautiful woman without discretion. She's beautiful. It's true she's beautiful, but she has no discretion. You find out about this person, but the beautiful woman without discretion can trap a guy. Why? because of how she uses this. How you express access and welcome. How, what the woman thinks of the man. How wide open the doors. Now some men don't seem to care. They start to care pretty quick, but if the woman is just open to all men, if she's, you know, a hoe. Um, but that doesn't, you know, the, the, He's not. He's just looking for animal release at that point. He doesn't care who the woman is, and and uh, it's not like he's trying to have a relationship. If he wanted to have a relationship, he's not going to be happy with her spreading her charms everywhere. Um, the uh, uh, the idea that you need to and again these can operate in ratios to each other. But this and this, who you are and who you think they are, is what equals love for the man. He loves when he discovers X qualities in a person who honors him or welcomes him to an X amount. Okay, It's going to be different for each guy. A young fellow who's never met a girl, and she, she was really nice to him at church one Sunday, and he starts following her around. 
she, he thinks he's gotten an awful lot of access and welcome standing outside her window, you know, or something like that, you know, the stalker uh, sort of thing. Um, and he thinks you're divine. So he might be very much in love, as my mother used to say. It's puppy love, yes, but it's real with a puppy. And you can't convince him it's not love, and I wouldn't try to. It might not be mature love. It might be bad mathematics on these things or inaccurate information. But he operated the two same points of information every man who falls in love operates on. We want, and we have a discovery in following that want. We're out there with the radar, you know, looking for women. Some women gives us the time of day. We, we, and she starts to show certain qualities of character or beauty or whatever else. We start adding that up and said, the more, the, the more, you might say, wonderful she is, the more wonderful the honor she gives, the welcome she gives is to us. So if the most beautiful woman in the world welcomes you, invites you into her life, you feel uniquely honored. Now, the language of welcome is uh, kind of good and bad. There are elements of good and bad about it, anyway. Um, we see it in, maybe you've done this, and I, I wouldn't fault you for doing it. You're at a party. You hear some guy talking in a group over there, and he says something funny that you really enjoy, and you kind of laugh to yourself. You're talking to your friends, and you say, hey, I don't know who he is, but it sounds really funny. And so your life goes on. You haven't even met him, but then you catch his eye across the party, and you hold it. He's not just scanning the room looking, you hold it. Eyes are the window of the soul. You've just granted access. You've just, and that's not immoral, it's just, it's flirting. You know, it's, it's, it's showing some welcome. Guy doesn't know what, doesn't even know your name, but it's a, uh, wants to proceed through door number two. He wants to come over and introduce himself because this woman has showed him access. And maybe she'll show him welcome. She's a good girl. She won't show him too much access and too much welcome. Because the same thing is true when access, with, with the girl who is, we'll just say buxom, we'll say, and who always wears the revealing and is always bending over to pick up the beers. What's she doing? It's not because mammary glands are somehow in the, written in the heavens. Those are exciting. Because there are some cultures that see them all the time and don't care. They just don't care. You see them in National Geographic all the time, and you just don't care. And even when an adolescent boy sees them in National Geographic, he doesn't care. Because he knows that they don't. It's not what is being seen, it's whether she's displaying access and welcome. Now she's doing it by selling very uh, direct physical pleasure. She, the girl with the eyes is not promising anything in particular. She's promising maybe a conversation, maybe some, some good chat. The woman, you know, uh, strutting her stuff is uh, promising far more with immorality at the end if it goes too fast too quickly. Now, so we, we got a moral distinction there, but I want you to think about them as the same because they are the same. The thing about the, the second woman who starts displaying her wares is she can drown out who she is. Because the idea of that pleasure, 
the idea of the symbol, the metaphor of sex, the pleasure of sex and the power of the metaphor is so strong in men, men's minds that they will not pay attention to who you are until they're married to you three years. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, or, or two weeks or something like that. Now, women have used these tools. I mean, I feel like a, almost like an idiot. Not quite, but I do feel almost like an idiot telling people this when the whole world, this is all based on how people function. This is just observation. This is just, you know, reading certain books, but looking at college students for 30 years, looking at people I know, function, looking at every movie, reading books of, of what pleases people, and say, okay, what are the common things? These are things that all of you may do or have done, and you have been in love or had someone in love with you, and this was the reason. And you even functioned on some of the things that worked this, but you didn't know what you were. It was from tradition. Women know this, pass this on. Try this. You know, you're going to have long eyelashes. Why? You know, I was, when I was young, I had very long eyelashes. So long, I have to clean my glasses on the inside all the time because my eyelashes scrape the inside of the glass and get oil all over them. It's not a good thing. But I grew up with women all the time telling me how much they wanted my eyelashes <laughs> when I was a little kid. It didn't stop when I grew older. They just kept telling me they wanted my eyelashes. And then I still see commercials. I saw one yesterday where women have a little, I guess, a little brush of some description on which are little particles which are blackened somehow that they then scrape or husk their natural eyelashes and it adds bulk, mass, and length so they can do that adventurous thing with do not fall for her eyelashes. Don't get entangled in her eyelashes. Now, how do, how do women know this? Well, they, how do they get those looks? They work them, you know, they go to school for it? Or they, they go figure out how to look at a guy sideways, touch your head? You guys don't know what you're doing. This is what you're, what you're primarily trying to say is, can I show you a way into my life? Not because you're a bad girl. This doesn't mean you're a bad girl. It's, it's, it's what makes the world go round, keeps the species alive. But you're trying to show access, and you're going to decide whether you're going to welcome. A good girl is wise about it. A good girl is moral about it. And a good girl ne needs to also say, these are the qualities why, for, that he'll select me for. If I scramble his brain into, you know, into oatmeal, before he ever sees who I am, he's never going to make a wise decision about me. So you can use these wisely, use these badly, but this is what it is. It equals male love. Now, you say, well, I don't think, I might, you know, so-and-so fell in love with me, and I don't think he saw me, you know, in that regard. I'm not saying that the guy is going to think in a nitty-gritty way about his sense of welcome. He might just be thinking of your natural social welcome, not physical welcome, social welcome. Your engagement with him, you're talking to him, you're being interested in his ideas. Th those sorts of things are, are just death to a man. And he'll be, he'll be in love and he'll see your qualities and he will he'll think his love is pure because he doesn't think of you as a body, he thinks of you as really a great person who really opened up to him really opened up to him. 
And in mental cases, they will fall in love with a picture and a catalog because the girl is looking at the camera with a certain degree of welcome. Okay? Now, you speak the language, it'd be better off for you if you knew what it was you were saying. Um, so this starts to uh, attach itself to various things we do. Um, I mentioned earlier, your love is not the same as our love. Uh, so don't think you're saying and expecting the same thing out of a relationship. A guy's trying to go through a series of doors. The last door is in bed. Okay? The last door is sex. Now, so he's always trying the next doorknob. You know, he got so far in, so he's going to try the next door, see if he can get further into the house. You've got to be aware of that. You might kiss him after the third date on the porch, thinking that that's what a, you know, a girl would naturally do that. It shows him that you're interested in the, in the relationship going further. You, you, you think of him as a closer than quite not a friend. He's saying she wants to kiss. That's what he's saying to himself. He, she wants to kiss. Door number three. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and the adage uh, that I've heard comedians say, I think more than one, women like to be sexy, they don't want sex. And men say, if you're not selling any bacon, don't open the store. We have this confusion about what we're doing. We need to know, men need to know and I do tell the men in the Mojo Oracles what women are about and what they love and how they love so that they, if they hurt a girl, they have no excuse for hurting a girl. You should have no excuse for hurting a guy, opening up the doors into your life and suddenly, what do you, what do you think I am? And marching away in a huff. You don't want to be someone who is destroying lives merely because you don't know stuff. Now, this addresses things, obviously, with the girl who's bending over. Have you noticed that, that I'm leaning over the podium and it's not affecting any of you at all? <laughs> How about if I unbutton this top button? Now, nothing... Guys will do that. Guys, because they, the, the, it affects them so much. Have you ever seen a, a real lounge lizard in a bar? Tight, tight pants. Tight pants. Polyester shirt, open to here. Moose chest hair. A gold chain. Maybe he's buttoned him down to his navel. Maybe he's built like me, but he's still... And he's sprayed on hand. And he has a comb over. It's pretty awful. Now, why is he doing that? Is he some sort of retard? Yes, he is. But the retardation is this. If you walked in dressed like that, he would like it a lot. Okay? If your shirt was open to here, and you had a little gold chain across your chest, and you had skin-tight pants on... He'd, be all, he'd all be about that. So he believes, turnabout's fair play, I should give her access to my charms. <laughs> men, men are only, most, you, 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 you'd like to think that men are smarter than that, but they generally aren't. Because um, we run the world. Modesty, that's what we're talking about. Biblical modesty is unspecified. Okay? Biblical modesty is unspecified, and like most morals in this, and we talk about modesty not because we're trying to talk to girls and trying to get them, because look at you, you're all modest sitting here. 
we're not trying to get a new rage of modesty going because there's just a general problem of that in the church. I want you to be thinking in terms of your relationship to men. Because once you know this is the thing, modesty is one of the, the natural things that, that would uh, uh, attach itself to that. But since the Bible thinks of modesty as a heart issue, it says in Timothy 2, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, also that the women should adorn themselves modestly and sensibly and seemly apparel, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but by good deeds, as befits women who profess religion. It is basically saying it is not a physical clothes choice. It is not skirt of a certain length. It is not how expensive are your clothes. Don't think of seemly apparel in those terms. Seemly apparel for a Christian woman is her heart, her good deeds, her actions. It's more this. Okay? She's more this than, than this. Or, the, or even trying to measure it in these terms. Because when you try to start to measure modesty, too often, one, this is an instruction to women. This is not an instruction to men, to police women. Okay? Don't let men, you'd be wearing a lead box passing notes through a small breathe hole. That's what you'd be wearing if we were constrained to not desire. Okay? Now the Muslims try to work that out. <laughs> a little cloth box with just the eyes showing, but even then, you've seen those eyes? I saw a woman at a full broker at Walmart, and her eyes were gorgeous. She had spent a lot of time on those eyes. <laughs> this is all she had to work with. And every man was going, oh yeah, you know, eyelids. <laughs> now, the modesty, first you say, I need to build who I am as a Christian. I need to build my qualities that no one says, oh, too much of that. Oh, too much good character. Can't be having that. Um, we've already covered in a lot of that in terms of nobility and service to good in a society. Um, and you can go back and consider that. Now, the other modesty, the clothing modesty, is a symbolic thing. Just like sex is symbolic of the rapprochement, the mojo. How a woman dresses, how a woman comports herself, um, is going to be informed, not just by what she symbolizes. Remember we talked about that, the, the poise of a lady is going to represent the thing she values. A woman who dresses like a hoe whore is going to be, that's what she values. And a, a woman who is godly woman, it's going to naturally seep into a woman's clothing choices. Um, and her knowledge of how men are. Have you ever had to tell a girlfriend, Nah, don't sit like that on the couch. The couch is too low. Or put your knees together for heaven's sake. <laughs> you know, because some girls, they, they, they grow up in pants and they don't know. They don't have no idea how men think or what men are looking for and don't realize that they're on display. So you tell somebody, and once they know the information, a girl I dated for a few years back in the 70s from um, L.A., and she was up here, this is before, I started dating her before I went in the Navy and through about two and a half years in the Navy. Um, and she came into the bookstore, the Christian bookstore here in town. My father was there and one of the staff members, uh, Ben Hyde, who now works at Fort Hood. And uh, 
um, she walked in and she was wearing shorts that were, I think there was only waistband. I mean, on the side. They were cut up the side, up, up to the way, jean short. They didn't reach much past crucial areas and they were completely open on the side. And a tank top that was one of those wide, wife beater type of, but with the really open sides. And nothing else. Christian girl, brand new Christian. So, uh, we are all three in the store, uh, staff, and I said, Denise, have a seat. And told her. She was just mortified. Never even thought of it. Never even, she wasn't, she was Californian. She, it was a hot day. It was, you know, she thought she was cute. You know, she was really cute. But, you know, she came back a few minutes later in overalls and, um, you know, it's pretty overdressed for the situation. Now, Women don't sometimes know. When you do know, first you know one thing about what you're trying to be. A woman who is always trying to get male attention will maybe inadvertently start to pick up welcoming aspects to the way she dresses because she just likes that. So she just features that in herself all the time. She's always been rewarded. She's always been pretty. People have always said that. People treated her better at the stores. Whatever the case, she felt that way and so she dresses that way without you know, too much consideration. Uh, but once you start to realize that I consider the things that I am to be about more important, uh, uh, the will of God, good deeds, etc., that will filter into your life as well. It will become a distance, a buffering distance. A woman can be very beautiful, but because who she is about, Jesus Christ, good deeds, serving others, She's not there. You can know the difference in looking at a person's eyes. Is she trying to be a magnet or is she not trying to be? She could be gorgeous and not even accessible. My sister-in-law always called it warm and distant. You know, and it, it has that effect. I am willing to trust that a woman who pursues the right thing will find herself in the right place. Because you can't say how long the dress. A Baptist pastor's wife will wear a swimsuit today that she would have been arrested for 75 years ago. Well, how come she can wear that now? She's showing a lot more skin, isn't... Well, because this... You know, just on the nature of rapprochement, we're going to get to that in a moment, that it's a... Uh, uh, it's a variable thing. You could not make a list. You could... You can just tell people that, and it doesn't actually tell you the two places, you have this First Peter passage, it says the exact same thing, let not yours be the outward adorning with braiding of hair, decoration of gold, and wearing of fine clothing, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. So Peter says the same thing as Paul, regarding modesty, and it does never give you a list of how to dress. It tells you don't consider how you dress. You consider who you are, and let who you are affect how you treat others. Now, for men, once you understand this, and I can't stress this enough, you say, well, I, I, was, I, was, I just unbuttoned a little, one button. Fine. You say, it's just, you know, it's not even, I didn't even show any cleavage. Fine. It could be the side of your leg. It doesn't matter for a man. Because where modesty, 
we're dealing with the idea of, uh, oh, what's the word I was using? Exceeding expected coverage. There's a standard in your society. There's a certain kind of swimsuit that everybody wears. And if a girl is at the beach in that swimsuit and it's normal, if the guy has a problem with it, the problem's with the guy. Because everybody has accepted it and you know it, it, it has changed in the last 50 years. And uh, again, you would not uh, be able to set down a standard. So exceeding expected coverage, um, and it doesn't actually matter what part of you. It's not like only the sensual parts of you, because it could be the middle of your back. It, it's whatever, you know, if the eyes were everything but the eyes, that's where we'd start. A little bit more cheek, oh goody. I'm a little excited, Victorian days. Skirts to the ground, girl steps into a carriage, little ankle shows, guys are just, you know, an ankle. Because, and it even happens to us today, not just Victorian and now, but if I'm at the beach, girls are running around in the all together, sunbathing, all sorts of things. And sure, it's all attractive and they're all pretty and so forth. But put that same girl in that same swimsuit in your living room. It's a bit different. Same amount of skin. But circumstance says something else is expected. I'm expecting to see X amount. And if I see more, it's exciting. It's welcoming. It's drawing. And, and I, a person has to cross that line either by ignorance or by ploy. The other side of it is the people who say, I just don't, I just don't like the feeling of people desiring me, etc. I want to just damn whatever elements of womanhood are mine. I'm not going to show any aspect that would make me obviously a female versus a male, other than my name. Well, I think that's a negative uh, as well, because that is to put yourself as a um, um, a different kind of, you're trying to stumble the purposes of God in what he has given us in each other. What he's given us in each other, the beauty, the desirability, etc., has a certain point of, of um, balance, a certain point of right degree of attraction that precipitates a good relationship out of degrees of access and welcome and the kind of woman. Um, it's um, and so I, I, again, I don't. I, well, I fault a woman, but I don't consider her to be. You might. She's foolish by being overdressed and over, overly armor plated. Um, uh, a person who who will not look like there's anything going on. Um, there's a general contract between men and women, like I said, a general, general contract of access, general contract of man's protection of women in the society at large, and people who are slapping that in the face by uber-modesty are, are slapping that in the face. They're not uh, are presenting themselves as what women are. Um, now, flirting, uh, which I, is, is, is sort of a natural thing to this, modesty is the 
the, the physical modesty that we're talking about, the, the idea of displaying yourself and how you display or how you control that display with this in mind. Flirting is the conversational version. You know, it's not the, it's not the physical uh, signal, it's the conversational signal. Um, it too must be, like we said about chastity, it must too must be driven by the level of contract. A, 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 by the way, with a with husband and wife, you don't have any problem with a wife being in the bedroom with her husband in something skimpy. Why? Because contract, right? It's not like, well, that's not very modest. Well, again, if I put it somewhere else with other people seeing it, yes, you're very right. But it's not some sort of absolute written in. It, it depends on what your circumstance is. So you have to... Um, uh, juggle these things and the flirting is a um, am I trying to in a flirt draw in a guy by greater access I know he's susceptible to access <coughs> that's what that's our weakness and if I make it seem like I am more of a good time girl and that hello sailor sort of quality um, I'm going to get the attention I may want, that, that encouragement with me as a woman that says, hey, I can still be effective in this world, but perhaps, um, perhaps I should not. It is like, it's stressing the second thing uh, here, if I open myself up too much. Now, there's also a point uh, to stressing this up here, where you, there's no, again, there's no limit to being too beautiful. There's no one says, oh, she's just too beautiful. I think it's wrong. She should not be that beautiful. Someone should hurt her. <laughs> you may have thought that of some girl at some point. Yes, we should all get a gang together and hurt her in the face. But there's no problem with being too beautiful. Too immodest is a problem, but too beautiful? No. Too much character, too much smarts, too much knowledge, too much wisdom, all sorts of things you could be going after that affect a man's view of you. Because as he enters your life, it's a discovery process. I can blind him by racing him down this path really fast. Taking off too much of my clothes too soon so that he doesn't pay any attention to who it is that's doing it. So the, the Christian woman could say, okay, a degree of this is necessary. I have to let guys know that I'm, I would welcome a guy I would welcome a guy coming after me and marrying me, I'd, and I'll show a general friendliness to the various guys I meet that rise to a certain level. I'll show that, but I'm going to stress number one here, and there are no limits to it. If I delay, this is honoring the guy. This is who you are, this is honoring who the guy is, or the guy feels it is honoring who he is. because. It's something you do that's a measure of him. Yes, I'm so glad to see you. Come on in, big boy. That feels great. Now, if you delay in honoring him until, if you did, it would be an honor. Here, if a girl opens up her privacy to too much traffic too soon, it ceases to be an honor. When the woman has stressed who she is, 
delayed in honoring him, delayed in giving him access, when the access is granted, it is an honor. Well, the uh, scriptures let us know in Thessalonians that we should pick wives for ourselves in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the heathen who do not know God. Uh, so I have to have a, a way of doing that. How do I... Uh, the guy, of course, when I tell this to the guys, because this is the same information I give the guys, that we have to control it from this side, that we need to examine not how much access we're being granted all of a sudden from this girl that I hardly know, and I don't know what she's like, oh, but she's really cute, and she's really easy. Pull back, do this, because you want pace in your life, too. You don't just want mojo answered. The one night of hot mojo does not make the world go round. It makes the spiral down to hell a lot more rapid. But, but here, and so I tell the guys that, um, There, there really needs to be a degree of um, what I've encouraged you all this week. The first three days were wisdom, the home, the society. Okay? Who are you going imi to imitate in your knowledge and character and thought? What are you going to be like if you're going to build this home? Because to whatever degree that we're doing this, to the, some degree it rotates around men. Some of you are married, some of you aren't, but it's, that's just the general sort of thing. So, and again, all others you can say, well, I can apply this if I'm going to be single till I die, fine. Yeah, you can. You can apply a lot of it. But some things you're absolved from. You know, you just don't even have to think about it. But generally speaking, you're going to be concerning this, or you're going to be counseling a young lady. If you go into any kind of ministry at all and you want to be a help to a young lady, this is going to be what you're going to need to know. You need to realize that there is a... Um, um, quite a load. Men... Um, when I said beauty up here, beauty is something you were just given. <laughs> Genetics favored you and a certain degree of painting. Um, and that may fade but things like your knowledge and your character and your those are things you're going to build and you want to be one of the reasons you do is not because well, you're all going to be on jeopardy it's not like you need to know answers to questions but you're going to have a husband that wants to talk to you across the breakfast table and wants it not to bore him to tears okay and if you don't know the difference between Elijah and Elisha if you don't know anything, if you're, if you're not a because then he'll go find his guy friends. Then he will want to go watch football. Then he will want to work in the garage all the time. If you want him to be in your life, you need to be like Abigail. You know, lots of beauty, great understanding. The kind of woman who can talk upright and correct even a king or someone who would be king. So these things are, are um ways that you can examine yourself while it's going on. You say, well, okay, I'm, a, I, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm going to go after good deeds and I'll let that control my modesty and I'm not going to be a flirt. I'm not going to, I'm going to try to pace myself here so I'm going to spend my time improving who I am. Um, truly spend it. Don't just say, 
that the idea of spending time improving who you are isn't improving who you are. You have to do something. You don't, uh, you're not owed, like a lot of people think when they talk about Pride and Prejudice. Everybody says, um, yeah, I'm just like Elizabeth. No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, how many people are just like Elizabeth? There's about as many as there are young men who are like Mr. Darcy, okay? So it's, uh, you're not just like her. I know she's the heroine, but too bad for you. Um, it's not owed to you, the great love, the greatest guy in town. It's not owed to him that he marry a goddess. To get realistic about it, understand you, it's a meritocracy to a certain degree. Good loves, good marriages, good, uh, great passions, they are merits, merited. Or lied. You either lie and you get it, and then hell, or you tell the truth and you get it because you really deserved it. Now, hunting a man, so we chase, they chase you until you catch them, I think is the basic, that's the basic thing. The law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be changed is this. This is the first law. Some of you know the second and third. The first law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be changed is proximity plus attraction equals attachment. All sorts of things, that's just the general rule, it's the law in the universe, writ in the stars. And what it is writing is a subset of this for what the men are going through. Remember, you're going through something different. What, what the men are going through is this, and so what kind of opportunity, you have group situations, you have dating, you have courtship, um, you have friends, okay? Those are your opportunities, right? Those are your proximus moments. Yeah, it could be youth groups, the church, you know, things like that. Social engagements that broader people are in. Groups, a couple people that are just friends, a guy and a girl who happen to be friends. Um, the, uh, the hard thing about the group situation um, is that the weaker members of the bevy of women stand there quietly by the wall. Well, some barracuda takes down all the men, you know, just a, some hot thing that wins all the guys, and all the guys are interested in her. And it's just rude, and, and you, you just feel, oh, this competition isn't fair. Now, that's just the way things are. You get to see reality played out. You get to see how dumb some of the guys are. But it's also great when a guy whose quality walks into it and does not pay her or you the attention you think you deserve. But he is gallant and he is good and he's not involved in that. Then you realize you've seen Apollo. He's walked through the situation and gotcha. So it's a, without you dating or doing anything, you suddenly know that I've seen something that's worth having. Friends, on the other hand, um, friends only work, they, let's say they don't work. They only work for mutually repellent people. Okay? You cannot be... You ever see that video on YouTube? It was viral a few months ago. Can men and women be friends? They asked all these guys on the Utah campus. No. No, 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 no. Every girl he asked, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and then they asked the girls, do you think he would um, take opportunity if you offered you? Oh, yeah, he would. They knew the guys didn't consider it friendship. 
They were just playing a little game. Nobody gets to be friends unless you're repellent to each other because you will either be mutually repellent or in love with somebody else. But even then, you don't want, I don't want to have my wife's best friend be a guy. I don't care how repellent he is. I don't want to give him the proximus time with my attractive wife for him to get attached to my wife. Friends, as C.S. Lewis says here in The Four Loves, when two people who thus discover they are on the same secret road are of different sexes, the, fellowship, the friendship which arises between them will very easily pass, may pass in the first half hour, into erotic love. Indeed, unless they are physically repulsive to each other, or unless one or both already loves elsewhere, it is almost certain to do so sooner or later. And that's usually where the bad thing happens, because it usually happens on one side, not the other. Because someone is happy with it as friends, the other one has moved on to be deeper and lasting, and then they start lying about it. Oh yeah, we're just friends. So you want to keep them around? Yeah, just friends. Yeah, we could be friends. Yeah, you're dating Susie? Yeah, we're it's, that's great, because we're friends. And you're just weeping yourself to sleep at night. So it's got, these all have dating, you know, obviously you, you lock up a young couple in a car, hormones raging, send them out in the dark night and say, hey, come back, you know, unpregnant. Um, and even when it's going well, dating is that artificial moment, both people walking onto the stage of a drama they are writing extemporaneously. It is um, improv is what's going on. And they're both improvising off the other person's lines what they're going to say to make them most attractive to the other person. So it's a fraud from top to bottom, generally. You know, there's some honest people out there, but there's a temptation at least to put your best foot forward in a very organized way. Let alone whatever temptations arise in this situation, because there's a degree of fake securities the guy throws at the girl, and the girl throws a degree of <laughs> fake enticements to him to make sure that he goes home thinking she's the greatest. And they come away with information uh, uh, that isn't uh, necessarily accurate. It could work out. These are all, all these things can work out. People can be happily married after them, but I want you to know what's, how it hits us when it hits us, and what, what kind of lies, what kind of uh, frauds you may put on yourself. Um, a, uh, you know, I'm all for, you know, I, I grew up dating, you know, that's what we did. We dated, and we simply have heard of courtship. Um, and there weren't that many situations where Christians got together. It's far more social life than Christianity today than there used to be. But, um, you know, I encourage a guy, if he has already set his sights on a particular girl and wants to marry her and is ready to do the honorable thing. Since dating throws proximity at the person right away and offers them up to that attraction, and you want to get the attachment, you honor bound to get the attachment, knock yourself out. It's a great thing to do. It's, it's a rushing the citadel. You're into the breach once more. You know, that's sort of a, um, a, a laying siege to the woman. Um, but it, all of these say, what are the, what's the dark side? Now, people running around with, with their pious hands clasped behind their back, pudgy pious hands, uh, talking about courtship, and uh, God forbid. Uh, it, it's not the biblical way. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches us about courtship. 
there's some very awful examples of courtship. There was one I quoted on the previous page about about Jacob and Rachel and Laban and you know awful moments. People trying to cheat each other and people trying to ends up married to, by the end four different women. <laughs> Yeah, married to the ugly older sister first and then had to serve another 14 years, another not seven years for the second wife. But he loved the good-looking one. Courtship is not, uh, um, it isn't a place where parents and sinful and foolish parents can act up, not just sinful and foolish uh, young people. Okay? And things go very bad very quickly on that regard. It views the young man as an interloper. And it makes him pony up with loyalty to the patriarch. Um, and I've talked to guys who were told, you will move to Texas, you will, if you marry my daughter, you will live in this town, you will not take my daughter anywhere. You, will, you know, just weird uh, degrees of demand on the part of the father of the girl. Um, I knew another guy who, who was, uh, fell for a girl in the mission field in Kazakhstan. Tajikistan, and uh, just a great gal, great situation. Parents were all courtship model, and they destroyed it, just destroyed it. And the girl didn't want to destroy it. And these were people who were in their late 20s, not, not young people who were away from home, and again, because of the folly of parents, people who are not trying to marry their daughter wisely off to somebody, but they're trying to accrue whatever power or authority they think they should have. I always look at Christian marriage as to what it should be when you're done. And does courtship encourage that on its way, or does it uh, upend it? Does it reinvigorate or reinforce the daughter's attachment to her father to such a degree that the guy has to bespeak some attachment to her father? That's not making her ready to... Remember, she, he gives her away. He doesn't gain a son, he loses a daughter. Okay? She becomes a member of his family. So, we have temptation. Uh, just as an aside, I have this little note on the side. I feel I should need to mention it about groveling uh, relationships based on the male writing poems, rhyming June with spoon and moon and various uh, other annoyances, baby talk and devotion, and her eyes, dear God, are limpid pools. And he gives himself, he serves, he, he, he prostrates himself. Now, I, I said this at the Mojo, and I hope, and I, I actually, one of the guys had a sister who had this picture on her wall. And I, I, don't, I didn't, don't think I offended him, but I might offend you, but I despise this picture. Okay, ready to be offended? You might have it, but I don't know. It's a picture of a lady, middle ages. Doesn't look like she smells at all, but she probably smells pretty bad. It's the middle ages. She has a sword and she's knighting on a step, a knight who's on his knee in front of her, about to be sent out on errancy or something, kill something for her, for her beauty. With his, with her, what was it called? Her favor, favor tied to his arm, a strip of gauze, to die for her. I hate that picture. Does anybody have it? Nobody's going to admit it now. <laughs> we are to serve. We men serve women. That's what gallantry is all about. That's what our leadership in a family and a marriage is all about. But 
we serve them because we're in charge, not because they're in charge. It's very easy for a relationship to make it sound like the girl stamps her pretty little foot and she's in charge and he does whatever she wants. It's not everything she wants, everything she needs because he cares for her and he's in charge. He delivers, okay? I just want to, you don't want to try to get a U-turn after you ran a relationship like it was you in charge the whole time and then you turn around and go, where's my strong Christian leader in my marriage? Well, you just emasculated him. You, you, you made him a gelding and bid him be fruitful. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to work for you. Now, the, uh, the last bit here on temptation, um, just some warnings, because I know for all the sexual sin that's out there, Half of it belongs to women, because it's the other half, you know. <laughs> Unless it's all homosexuals, and it's half of it's uh, women getting into uh, difficult situations. Um, this is information I want you to use because of the temptation immorality. It says in, in um, well, it says in... that in a minute. I don't want to quote that too early. <coughs> there aren't rules in the Bible. It tells you no fornication, which means having sex of any description. You get there by things that there aren't rules against. Okay? You get there because you found out how good you felt as he got further and further, as you welcomed him more and more, and you gave him access, 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 and you, you felt whatever love your love is based on, whatever your affection is based on, you were feeling. And pretty soon, the, 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 the rules about fornication are a little fuzzy when it's the next door to try. And you're all worked up, and he's all worked up, and it's like Paradise by the Dashboard Light by Meat, Meatloaf. Have you ever heard that song? Yeah. You need to hear it. It's a great lesson in uh, making out. Okay? Um... So you don't, you, you, but you don't want to react like a Pharisee. Well, you mean the Bible lacks laws about holding hands? Well, let's make some. Let's make one about that, and we'll make one about dancing, and we'll make one about uh, what else can we make it about? Girls wearing short skirts or being too good looking. So no makeup, no makeup, because I, I can see that that's what causes that eyelash stuff. You can get verses, a Bible verse on that one. So people get Pharisaical about things. Um, they just increase the trespass. The good Christian Baptist couple doesn't go to the dance because their church has a rule against dancing. They go out to the car and make out. They get to it. They get to it because this is more powerful than any laws. And this is just half of it. Remember, this is just the male half of love. You could be coupling this with whatever he is doing to you that touches you where you respond. This is as if you were just this cold, cool, thinking individual deciding whether or not you're going to be accessible and whether or not you're going to show how your qualities here. But no, you're a human being with, with loves that's responding to something. And if he's not a complete twerp, you're going to be responding. When it says that how we choose our wife, it says about in godliness, not in the passion of lust like the heathen who do not know God. It warns us in Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, for among them are those who make their way into households, false teachers, capture weak women, 
burdened with sins and swayed by various impulses, who will listen to anybody and can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth? Then one of my favorite passages out of Peter, Therefore, gird up your minds, be sober, set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now juxtapose those two situations. The one in Timothy talks about women who are swayed by various impulses. That's the women who, who don't have this clearly thought out. They're responding to the, whatever the guy is going to be doing, seducing them. And they, even in their theology, are never going to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, let alone their morality. The Christian woman who's girded up her minds and sobered herself up and set her hope fully on the grace to be revealed, and she did not be conformed to the passion of her former ignorance, that's where we have the seminar, to stop you from being ignorant. So the basic uh, juxtaposition is not passion. It says, do not choose a wife for yourself. Choose it by godliness, not by passion like the heathen who do not know God. So what, well, you know, this reproachment thing and its symbol of sex, its metaphor of sex, it seems like, and the solace, I think we were talking really positively about sex before, like it was created, yeah, it's true. The passion is there, God made the passion. It wasn't something mankind in the dark back alley someplace invented so their sin would be sweeter. God made passion. Now the problem is, it is saying, I may not treat passion as the verb in my life. You treat passion as the punctuation. Okay, That's just the way I've thought about it for years. I don't use it to describe or cause what I'm doing. It is not the action. I do not choose a wife by passion. I choose her by godliness. With a girded up mind, a sober mind, not being ignorant and only working by passion, but by being informed and not working by passion. Well, once I have done it, once I have picked her, once she has said yes, and you end up in the sack on wedding night, you're going to have a lot of passion. Yippee-ki-yay. That's when it's supposed, that's the exclamation point. Maybe the question mark, but, but it's, at least it's going to be an exclamation point or two. So, you're going to say, yes, that's what changes the sentence of what I was doing into something important. Is the passion's at the end. The passion is the reward. It is the gift of God. It is the solace of God. It is the, you know, you can't get back together again, really. Nice try. It tells us in 1 Corinthians. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, I guess that 2,000 years ago, it was still a question. It is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the temptation of immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now you'll notice that he does not encourage you to take cold showers. He says, you answer this, you answer this by getting married. You answer this by having the passion. You answer it by having the sex. But having the sex under contract. Where the contract, the vow matches the access. Christianity is not a circumstance where we are encouraged to live in denial. 
it speaks very strongly about that in the scriptures. Why do you submit to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. People who forbid marriage, who enjoin abstinence from certain foods, which God made to be received with thanksgiving. These are all things to be received with thanksgiving. Human love, human desire, the way men want you, the way you want men, that is the, what's supposed to be. And the idea that, uh, well, C.S. Lewis talks about it in Weight of Glory, where he says, you have to realize that God is not, he's about unblushing promises of reward. He is giving us a lot. He gave you a lot in terms of marriage and sexuality and the like. And uh, uh, we just have to learn, again, because it's a, it's a piece, a building block of life and a huge part of life and a part of life that once you get married, once you get married, God willing, it's going to stretch till one of you dies. And your sexuality is going to stretch till one of you dies. And then you, you say, um, okay, so I better, maybe a wisdom would dictate that I figure out how, how this works. How am I going to bring this to order? How am I going to make it work the best? how I'm going to uh, honor my husband this way. It's too often thought that since the world was big on sex, the Christian church ought to be anti what the world was about, so they became anti-sex. And considered that all the things that sinful and evil man did, the doing of it was bad enough. Um, says it's better to marry than to burn. And you want to be sure that as you go about this, now, if you're, a lot of average women are not that as driven as men are, because we, you know, you were not taken, you were taken out of man, we weren't taken out of you, other than our moms. You know, that we have a relationship with our mom that is similar <laughs> to what women, we have as a relationship to women. We, there is a, um, uh, the nature of your desire, which we'll look at tomorrow, and, the, and, and, a, and a path to finding that desire. The, the, the zeitgeist of this age is, uh, is pretty uh, antagonistic to the kind of female love that ought to be there. Um, but you guys might not have the kind of struggle the average adolescent male has. You have a debt to your Christian brothers to not make this difficult for them. You have a debt to yourself to figure out how to play this out correctly. And, um, um, and enjoy being married, I guess. I think it's great. I've been married. How long have I been married? Almost 34 Almost 34 years. years. You, know, that's at, you know, after that, it's, I'm going to have to get a new number. I'm going to have to remember a new number. After 34? Yeah. It's going to be the next number. Nine months, you can take so 34? Okay. But with confidence, not almost anymore. 34 dang years. Mm -hmm. And uh, well worth it. Well worth it. Let's thank our dear Lord. We're very grateful for women. We're grateful for how pretty they are. And Lord, we're grateful that you did not want us men to be alone. And you made that kind of gift. Help us all understand what it is that moves us to that gift, what it is that uh, we fight temptation regarding, so we know where the fight is, we know where the stumbling blocks are, we know what we're about. We can treat ourselves honestly 
and look at our actions without just throwing up our hands and in confusion. Thank you. Prepare us for tomorrow night as well. In your son's name, amen. Thank you.